Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 31st episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed musician and paranormal enthusiast Ed Roman. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I am working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm still working on editing the finale to my Red 72 series. I'm not quite a quarter of the way through my edits. I wasn't able to do much this week. It's snow mold season and my asthma just does not appreciate this. So I've been focusing the majority of my energy on my full-time job, but I did still manage to get some editing done. So go me. I'm finding some flow things that my editor didn't point out, but bother me. And I'll need beta readers before I submit it for publishing. Still looking for at least four more beta readers. If you are interested, please send me an email at sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. In novel news this week, here are some upcoming virtual Meet the Author events. Margaret Peterson Haddix, a middle grade and young adult author, is holding a virtual launch for her new book, Greystone Secrets 3, The Messengers, on April 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can register for the Zoom meeting at covertocoverchildrensbooks.com. Poet Marcus Jackson is doing a reading on April 7th at noon Eastern. You can register for the event at columbuslibrary.org. Thriller author S. Lee Manning is appearing at an event hosted by the Jewish Community Center of Greater Columbus on April 7th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are $5. You can register at columbussjcc.org. Self-help author Melissa Phoebus has an event on April 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are $5 or $29 to also get a copy of her latest book, Girlhood. You can purchase tickets on Eventbrite or at commercybooksbexley.com. Poet Kim Blazier is doing a reading on April 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Registration link is in the show notes. Nancy Rowe Pym, author of Bonded by Battle, The Powerful Friendships of Military Dogs and Soldiers from the Civil War to Operation Iraqi Freedom, is doing a Zoom event on April 10th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Sergeant Charles Shook, who appears on the paperback cover with his former canine companion Gabe, will also be in attendance. You can register at covertocoverchildrensbooks.com. 
And now for comics. Part of dating after divorce is talking to my kid about the fact that I'm going on dates. I talked to him before I went on the date to make sure he was okay with it because my son is the most important thing in my life. I talked to him about the date afterwards and he had a million questions, including wanting to know if he was about to get a stepdad. I laughed and told him I haven't even hugged the guy yet. Thanks, COVID. But I am seeing again him again this weekend while my kid's with his dad. And while I was on the way to drop my son off with his dad, this little seven-year-old was giving me his best hot dating tips for how to, quote, make it happen with this guy I just met. It was equal parts mortifying and hilarious. So, of course, I had to put that into a comic. There's a preview of it up on my comics Instagram at World of Possums. And the full comic is available on my Patreon, patreon.com slash possumpeat. In comics news, Manar Al-Kamil, an eight-year-old Iraqi girl, has written and published a comic book about the coronavirus pandemic titled Get Safe from the Coronavirus. Her father told Yahoo News that it is 100% her writing, but she got help from her grandfather, aunt, and uncle, who are doctors, for fact-checking the medical information. Her comic book is going to be distributed in English and Arabic at her school and local libraries. Marvel Studios released the trailer for Black Widow, which comes out in theaters and on Disney Plus Premiere Access on July 9th. The trailer gave me chills. This is a must-watch for me. But I refuse to pay $30 to watch a movie at home. So, uh, because I have no idea what COVID's going to be doing in my area come July 9th, Y'all better be keeping spoilers to yourselves. All right, next up is journalism. I am loving my magazine job. It does take time away from my personal projects, though, so no updates to report on my true crime books this week. And now for my interview with Ed Roman. Hi, Ed. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Ontario, Canada is where I'm, I'm from, born bred, raised and hatched, if you will. Uh, what I am is a, a singer-songwriter. I guess I'm a storyteller. My main instrument is bass, but I also play guitar and I'm a multi-instrumentalist. So I also play some keyboards and drums and things like that. So, um, and I've been writing music since, I guess I was five. <laughs> Excellent. So you blur the lines between pop, rock, folk, country. What do you call your musical style? kitchen sink i i i i you know for years i um i everybody's like well what genre you know are you in is it like country music is it folk is it funk is it rock is it what is this you know and categorizing things i guess is important but at the same time when i was coming up and and starting to really get into music i grew up in a household with three generations of people um, my grandparents, my parents, my brothers and sisters who were like 10 years older than I was. And I had this wide exposure of, of music that was almost like, you know, 70 years. And at the same time, coming into my own with like really like really listening to music and what it was and getting excited about it. I heard other artists, bands and, and other people, musicians pushing those envelopes with writing when it came to saying, well, they're a pop band. Well, but you could classify that song as something marginally classical. If you, we think about the Beatles, like something like Eleanor Rigby or, or, or even like Stevie Wonder, who was like branching out out of like classic rhythm and blues and R&B and soul 
and taking this whole other new step into the music era, including integrating new equipment and new ideas. It was all pushing those those boundaries in, in those really interesting ways. And as a result of having so much exposure, including jazz music, I studied jazz music when I was in college. I just felt it, you know, important in some way to keep abreast of that all that those topics and those ideas. I, I played in an African band for a while, I, for years actually. I, I played in cover bands. I played in jazz ensembles, quartet, stage bands, concert bands, African, as I said, bands. Uh, all of that stuff was a big education in the idea that you know anything can happen, and and when you amalgam ideas is really where that cross-referencing of things starts to flourish. If we look at certain genres of music, you'd say, well, what is jazz music? I mean, there's an element of classical composition in terms of the way that the music is, is composed and put together, but then it has the fluidity of rhythm and blues and an expression inside of it with those things amalgaming as one branch off again into like Afro-Cuban music and like and like jazz music and then you start having this afro fusion stuff all of this is a, always a, this healthy branching of, of of ideas so i i i call it kitchen sink because i guess from album to album there's <laughs> there's different things that i do from song to song and inside of a song a feeling might change in order to dictate sort of the lyrical idea and the composition so i i i kind of like i like leave the door open <laughs> Awesome. You've used your song Red Omen to raise funds for Whole Dyslexic Foundation, a cause near and dear to you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, the reason that I, I play today really is because of my mom. And um, I struggled immensely academically and I was sort of diagnosed as what well, was not sort of I was diagnosed as a dyslexic when I was in grade two. So I was like, you know, seven and then I started going to special class and, and things like that in order to remedially keep up with what was going on normally on a, in an academic level. But as much as I, I, you know, struggled in school, my mom was a tremendous help at home because she spent so much of extra time practicing reading, writing to play catch up, you know, words and the idea of what words were, where they came from. It was a whole new adventure at home when it, when it came to learning as opposed to a school. But my mom also put a guitar in my hands because I just gravitated to singing and, and theatrics and music. And I mean, we would drive by this music store in our little town and I would like basically like lean out the window almost crying because I wanted a guitar, you know, even when I was like five years old. And we had an old piano in, in the front hall of our house and I was always playing songs my brothers my, my sisters went to piano lessons but it's nothing that they ever really wanted to like fully pursue I think it was more like you know my mom <laughs> wanted them to do it just like other things and and they, they tried it but but the again I was always expressing myself so I guess my mom was like well you know let's see what happens and I just was like hooked I mean I was in seventh heaven when I got a guitar it was this old First of all, it was an old, you know, the world famous knapsack company made travel guitars. And it was a, it was it was a guitar that had four strings on it. It was a six string acoustic guitar. I still have it. And but two, two of the, the E string and the B string were fishing line that, that I said sort of refashioned it so I could actually, you know, kind of pick out tunes. 
And then eventually I got this old silver tone electric guitar from one of my mom's friends that, you know, her daughter had played for a while, but she got out of it. And I was just like, you know, any, anything I could try to learn and, and teach myself because where we lived in the country, there wasn't always accessibility to lessons and things. And I took a couple of years of, of piano, but I, I always gravitated to, to string instruments. And when I got to high school, I was like, oh, I could play the bass. Like, I mean, the reason I play bass today is because nobody wanted to do it in our, in our basement band. You know, I was like, and then I was like hooked after I started really exploring it, you know? Um, but, but Red Omen was a journey into, into talking about my experience as a dyslexic and, and it's sort of the fictitious uh, things in allegory in my own life and, 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 and excited about certain people also that, that have really helped me along my journey or sort of interwoven in, in the story. And, 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 and an anagram of my own name, how more apropos is a dyslexic to, to sort of wield an anagram all jumbled up that creates a new name. So this character, uh, I, I for years was, you know, knocking on doors to animation houses and colleges and universities trying to, you know, say, was anybody interested in wanting to try to turn this into an anime? And I eventually found this, this cat, Nelson Diaz in New York City, who's, you know, <laughs> his register is pretty high as far as like what he's done in Sesame street and SpongeBob SquarePants and Kung Fu Panda two and all these other crazy things. And I'm like, he loved the tune. And that's what I was hoping for was that is this sort of connectiveness to the art process where they enjoy what's happening. And, and through that enjoyment are coming up with their own process. I mean, I created this like stick figure storyboard, of it to give to him and sort of, you know, some verbal dictation, but I really wanted to know what he was seeing and, and how he was feeling it, you know, and when we sort of came to the idea, it all really started to flow. And in that process, reaching out through my management to the whole dyslexic society first in the U S who turned me on to the whole dyslexic society in Canada and Sue Hall, who's out in Vancouver and we have facilitating offices in, in every, every province, but, what Red Omen has become is sort of a vanguard and a vehicle to talk about dyslexia, uh, the gift. And um, I call it a gift for many reasons, but um, and, and and it's raised money and a lot of awareness. And it has this wonderful feeling for me attached to it where I've given more away. And in the process, the bigger part of the picture has has been so rewarding in being able to, to do that. And even people that have reached out that have said, you know, I, I think my son or daughter is struggling and, or I think I've had it, or I think this is what it's all really wonderful, open dialogue and connectedness to the community that that's really why I got involved with art and why I got involved with music is because it's a communication tool. It's aside from it being a commodity or, you know, we want to listen to it at the beach or on the back porch or, all those things that we know music is great for um, it, it, for me, it's always been this form of like a, a connectiveness to people through language and ideas. And when I know that the song has been at festivals all over the world from Moscow to Los Angeles and won so many awards. And to me, it's like, I'm almost speechless uh, through the, through the process because so many people have connected with the information and that's, you know, again, like I said, why I do what I do. 
I'm, that's what I'm always hoping for. And a bigger part of why I write something is that aside for it being something for me, something that's a catalyst that pulls you through the writing experience and asks you bigger questions. I then I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to be able to reflect it in some kind of a way to say, well, this is, you know, a definition of, you know, kind of my living experience through what's going on. I'm the experiencer inside of the experience experiencing, you know, and, and I think that's the wonderful thing about art. When we look back at it, it's a time marker, a cultural, you know, um, anthropological time marker. I mean, music and anthropology is something that, you know, universities and people study all over the world for a certain reason. So I, I feel I feel lucky to be connected to through something that was a difficulty that then became a passion and that I worked towards that gave me my liberation to be able to say, I can't communicate, you know, all those things that I struggled with so much as a dyslexic is not an issue for me because I'm three-dimensionally, this is what dyslexia is all about, connectivity in a three-dimensional fashion. So Red Omen uh, is, is a bigger than me thing. It's, it's big and red, you know. Uh, and I'm happy to I'm happy to bring it to people. That's awesome. That's that's also a cause that's very important to me. I was diagnosed with dyslexia my second year at university. So I managed to get all through like elementary, high school, all of that somehow with just powering through it. I don't know. But like, yeah, it's like when I'm reading, it looks like when you're typing in CAPTCHAs for computers, that's what words on a page look like to me. And I just thought that's what words looked like. Like, I don't know. I was, I was really lucky. My mom in teaching me how to read, she had this book that like to teach you how to read, it gave you nonsense words to try to force you to learn to sound things out. And I think that's the only reason I was able to learn how to do it is because my mom had this really weird way of teaching me how to read and it worked. So (laughs) it, but yeah, it's like, it's like captchas on a page. And then I went to university and they had this disability awareness week and they're like, and this is what dyslexia is. And I was like, wait, that's dyslexia. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what everything is to me. And like, do you want to come talk to one of our um, experts maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then my grades went, got way better after that. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> how that works. <laughs> Oh, you know, like it's Sierra. It's so crazy what you're saying because it it it, it, it so rings home. Um, my mom was the same way. There was things I was talking about with her in the last six months, and she goes, "Do you remember the crazy things we did to remember words and how we?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but that's kind of why it stuck. Your humor inside the passion behind your explanation about your experience with your it, it's the same thing, and I think that's what." inside of the education system, it can be really clinical. It can be really flat. And, and, and this, is, this is also the ama- crazy and amazing thing about the information age is that even in the learning experience, that what I've understood, like a, a shaman in a storytelling scenario, is that it's character driven. If you look at a book, it's very flat. The information is there. Yes, we can absorb it. But what is leaping from the page and, and how do we, you know, and then if you have this issue with pronunciation and words and gathering that stuff and the collective information takes you longer to go through, then you start understanding more about, okay, well, this is not a problem in terms of comprehension. I get the information. It's how I need, how I'm forced to source it 
learn it, regurgitate it. And like I, that with what you just said, it's like, yes, it's that crazy thing that gets you through the process, whether it's that jumble word book or what I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I still use those things today tactically to remember certain things, but like, that's like, that's like amazing because it's like another dyslexic that's out there in language and communication that struggled with it. And I, you know, what's amazing is that what better person to, to sort of understand more about what all that's that is other than just on the surface than somebody that has been through a different kind of ringer <laughs> in terms of their struggle to get where they are. And then some people will say to me, Ed, like your vocabulary and the way that you, you use words doesn't make it seem like you have a learning disability. And I'm like, but that, that's, that's not what this is about. It's, it's, I'm so glad that you shared that story because again, it, it adds to that volume of people that I know that are like, ha ha ha, dyslexics in the communication field. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, I, I've met several authors who, yeah, they're, they're dyslexic and it actually does kind of give them a superpower of looking at things in a completely different way and helping them stand out. <laughs> I know two dyslexic that run super power podcast kind of things. They call it superpowers. The edited dyslexic president, she's an author. I've met the, uh, Ron uh, Davis from the whole dyslexic society in the U.S. He's a sculptor. I've also met another script writer that's like from Hawaii. It's like, it's, uh, uh, again, it's, it's, not, it's not intelligence. This is where the labeling of it being a disability becomes part of the self-esteem conundrum which can be really difficult and i've heard even adults articulate their anxiety about what it is i mean today if you were to put some you know a, a large piece of literature in front of me i would be struggling i need a i need time to to, to collect the words to, so that i can fit then it becomes more my own i guess that's another reason why as a lyricist I, I loved the process of learning lyrics, the safari of understanding why it is what it is. There's a whole historical thing that's attached to it. And at the same time, the understanding the bigger message is really humbling inside of what lyrics mean. And lyric writing itself has that, has that same feeling to me. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing um, experience I, when you, when you come out of something that, that, that can be so difficult and feel emancipated because of your, your, what you do now, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. Absolutely. And another thing we have in common, I hear you're a paranormal enthusiast. What got you into that? Do you have like a paranormal experience or. That's it. <laughs> my, my grandparents came from the old country, you know, and I grew up listening to stories that seemed, you know, extraordinary and, and things that happened in Europe. And then, you know, my grandmother was very into the idea of, I, like, it was like Slovenic Wicca, you know, she felt that she could cure headaches with, you know, these certain things that she did with straw sticks and lighting them on fire and dousing them in water. And she'd cast the spell and, you know, all this stuff, throwing the water out. You know, and I see there's this uniformitary, uniformitarianisms to that kind of thing all running through Eastern Europe and, and even in Italy and all sorts of different places around the world. 
where that older culture was more attached to these sort of symbolic things that were related to the living moment, but also the subtle energy systems of certain things. My grandmother and parents, and, you know, they tell, grandpa, with this story, my grandmother's brother was born with all of his hair and teeth and could speak at the age of one, like fluently, like in this way that he was like this prophet child where he would like speak to older people in the village and, 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 and he predicted the day he would die and how he would die and at what age he would be. And he would, you know, talk about this all the time. So like, it's like half the village thinks he's, he's like divine and the other half of the village thinks that he's cursed. Right. So it's like, I heard that, you know, from the time I had cognitive memory, this story about, you know, Ergy, my grandmother's brother. And then my my mom and brothers and sisters and grandparents had an experience in the, in the mid 60s, mid to late 60s, uh, where this thing, which could only really be described as some aerial phenomenon, unidentified flying object that sort of started hovering between our barn and our house. That's part of family allegory. And then it's connected to, well, it was in local newspapers that the local airport was tracking these aerial phenomenon in the area uh, you know all of that is was part of where i it opened me up to the possibility that wait a minute my parents grandparents brothers and sisters they're all sitting around talking about this stuff there must be something to it and and as i got a little older and and i started to have more of like what i would say that third eye perception the pineal gland is sort of awakened to the to certain feelings and other things because i always think children are are so still attuned to to that other part of existence that we that we came through and out of maybe from one place to another i started having you know experiences in my house with feelings where i felt i was being watched and started asking questions and found out, you know, somebody had died on the property. And we wondered if the house was, you know, somebody was in the house, like a spirit was in the house. Uh, my grandmother had experiences in the basement. My mom had experiences upstairs. So that was like, okay, so something's going on here. And I can, and I, and I didn't really tell people. It wasn't until I got a little older when I was like 10 that I started talking about the UFO thing. And then, and then I started, as I got a little older, I got so involved in music that I, a different part of me was uh, like connected to writing and the sort of spiritual connectiveness to music and what it meant to be sort of more than just like a singer or a performer. It was, it was a sort of spiritual conquest into, into what music all sort of meant. Then all of a sudden, I then started having really amazing things that were to me, I mean, people would say, well, that's a coincidence. And I'm like, <laughs> there's no way that, you know, other people go, well, I didn't see that or I didn't have that experience. Well, what I've started to realize that my experiences mean something to me. They, they, they're, they're, it, whether or not somebody else had them, and in some cases, there may be multiple people that have the experience. But it, how and why is, is most important to you? It changed those things changed my compass. They, they they literally in some cases shook my foundation. I'm still t- trying to articulate and talk about them today because they they had they had such an impact on me. 
So it started when I was young and, and, and it's continuing today, even, you know, in my writing experience, I feel that fluidity. Well, it has been so great chatting with you. Uh, can you just tell everybody where they can find you online? edroman.net and all my social networking buttons are there facebook instagram youtube twitter you can check me out on tiktok special ed roman is usually where you know you're going to find that tag everywhere on all the platforms and uh thanks for having me it's been really nice talking to you last but not least let's talk about barefooting we are well into the mud season the snow is all melting which is why i'm halfway dying from the snow mold and all that melted snow is sinking into the dirt to make mud. The whole way from my car to the front door of my building is just mud. Even the people who wear shoes can't help tracking it in. In fact, I think they track more of it in than I do. Feet are easier to clean than shoes. In barefoot news, in a training exercise at the end of February, soldiers from the 10th Special Forces Group Airborne and the 4th Infantry Division traveled to Taylor Park, Colorado, and learned how to operate in winter conditions. Part of the training included walking barefoot for 30 yards in the snow, then having a teammate warm up their feet. This was to teach them how to combat frostbite. 30 yards, though? Apparently, even being obese and unable to run because of a connective tissue disorder has me still being tougher at something than the Special Forces. I can go more than 30 yards barefoot on snow. Hoorah. And have you heard of the Wim Hof method? It was developed by Dutchman Wim Hof, who is famous for his barefoot half marathons above the Arctic Circle and consists essentially of cold water plunges and breath work. It's supposed to be a kind of meditative experience. Practitioner Ben Dubin was interviewed by the Gazette about his practice. He told them, quote, breath work is creating an internal stress like we do for ourselves all day. The cold is showing us an external stress, like we'd face in an environment or daily life. We're hitting that stress response from all angles. It's how to process it and let it all go, end quote. I personally process my stress in other ways, but if that's what it takes for someone to live a happy, healthy life, they're not hurting anyone. Be safe when you do this if you're going to do it. Have a way to warm up afterwards so you don't get hypothermia. I do have a contact who does something like this. I'm not sure if it's the exact same technique, but Sue, if you're listening, let's connect and get you on the show. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with barefooter Chris Johnson. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as sierrathebarefootgirl, on Twitter at sierrabarefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. Just search Sierra Larson under the books section to find them. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums and patreon.com slash possumpete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And please share with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.